Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. I'm Lisa Fine, and today's guest is Barbara Petiti, the Ethics and Compliance Officer, Policy Enforcement and Investigations at Alstom. Alstom is a French transportation company, and when Barbara joined Alstom, they were in the midst of addressing some serious corruption issues, which included investigations with the World Bank, the U.S. Department of Justice, and the U.K. Serious Fraud Office. During this time, several executives were indicted by the DOJ, and ultimately Alstom paid a $772 million dollar criminal penalty to the U.S. Department of Justice. Barbara has been instrumental in rebuilding trust in the company through her ethics and compliance and through her work. Her ability to lead during such an intense time at Alston and her resilience when her only constants in is change is something that is really inspiring to all of us. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you talk a little bit about your background and how you initially got into ethics and compliance? Yes, of course. Thank you. It's um, a pleasure to talk with you. So like so many other ethics and compliance professionals, I got into compliance totally by accident. I was um, practicing law, and after deciding I really wanted to leave that world and be in a corporate setting where I felt I could be in the sort of problem-solving space a little earlier and in a more effective way, I got hired by an organization doing human resources. Um, it was in the defense contracting space. And my responsibilities included some compliance-related matters. And then after a couple of years, um, my responsibilities grew. And then my immediate boss got promoted. And I was tapped on the shoulder and asked to be the ethics officer. And then just over time, that eventually morphed into a much more expanded role that was a combined ethics and compliance function. Yeah, it was great because when we spoke, that was one of the ways I got into compliance as well. I was doing employee relations and compliance. And I think that one part that's great about that progress is that you really get a sense of the people and the people that are impacted day to day. Uh, it sounds like you had a similar experience with that. I did. And it gave me an appreciation for the kinds of issues that employees report and the fact that it's not easy for employees to come forward. So I've kept that perspective throughout my career. Yeah, I, th I agree. And it's also, you realize in a different way how much decisions on any level of a, of a company really do impact people and the day-to-day, -day, as you're saying, from reporters and from others, really do set tone at all different levels in a way in which I think people don't always see it quite the same way. I definitely agree. And employees are watching. They want to know that the company is enforcing its policies and holding people accountable and also being fair in the way that they um, implement policies. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, um, you went to Alstom and I, that was right during the middle of the FCPA and World Bank issues, I think. And there were some in indictments right after you started. Can you talk a bit about that time? I mean, it sounds like it was quite a you know, busy time and an intense time to start somewhere. Yes, of course. When I look back on the events um, of those few years, I can't even believe how busy we were as an ethics and compliance team. 
Um, when the DOJ investigation started, Alston had already begun implementing many best practices in their program. They were strengthening all the controls, um, implementing new policies, doing training, but the program was still very young. My very first boss at Alstom, who was the chief compliance officer at that time, he was doing all the right things. He was incredibly dedicated to learning about global best practices. So he went and talked with experts all around the world to make sure that Alstom was enhancing its program to reach world-class standards. And he was very fortunate, as was the team, because he had all the resources he needed, as well as the full support of upper management. So we were able to take the program where it needed to go. So what was your sort of first steps in that? Oh my gosh, we had such a big list of things to do. But the, when, I, when I think back on it, the immediate things we did initially was um, implement a comprehensive anti-corruption training program for all managers and professionals. And it included investigation about our pending investigations. We wanted employees to understand what was going on. I mean, as much information as we could share. And we wanted to communicate the seriousness of the situation to give employees a greater understanding of the risks the company faced in doing business in emerging markets uh, where we had ongoing projects. At that time, Austin had over 100,000 employees operating in 60 different countries. So we had a big task ahead of us. Um, but wow. the training, I did a lot of the training myself, and it was fun to travel and to meet employees all over the globe who were grateful. They were grateful to get the information. And then at the same time, we strengthened controls around our external sales partners. So we implemented um, improved screening, hiring, and payment processes. And then we also adopted a targeted anti-corruption training program for the external partners. And during that time, I was the dedicated ethics and compliance officer for North America. And within the very first six months of starting, I began a monthly communication program that covered all aspects of the program, policy refreshers, ethical decision-making, where to go to get answers or report concerns. And that was a very satisfying part of my work at that time, because even though we were in the news frequently, many employees had not really heard about the investigations. And so many that I talked to didn't even know what the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act was, which was the center of our investigation. So that, that part of the work was really satisfying. And simultaneously, I was traveling maybe 70 to 80% of the time, both domestically and internationally, trying to get our sites um, up and running with the program and to have an active presence. I wanted employees to know me and to get comfortable with ethics and compliance to make sure that all levels of the workforce had access to the necessary tools and resources so they can make good decisions. And during that time, when I look back, the speak up culture was not really completely understood or embedded in many European corporations. So a lot of my communications with employees focused on the hotline and 
encouraging people to report suspected misconduct and also raise questions or concerns. Yeah, I know that's often a challenge with European companies because it is really um, thought of so differently. So, it, you know, it seems as if that is something that while the speaking up is important, it's very traditionally done in ways outside of a helpline or a hotline or an ethics and compliance function. And that's, that can be a challenge as well. It also sounds like with your 70 to 80 percent of travel, North America became very large very quickly. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely true. And you're right about the speak up culture. It takes time. And I've seen now over the years that we've gradually changed. So people have a better understanding and are more willing to come forward. Well, that's great, especially in a, your central team is in Paris. So you were working not just with um, some of the traditional European issues, but some of the French specific issues in France as well. So you had you were doing that too, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just looking back on it, it was such a crazy time. So, so then after that, um, you know, what other things you you were moving on after you stabilized? um, What were some of the other things um, that you've been doing since then with your constant, which as you and I have talked, seems to be change. So, yes, you know, it's very common in large companies that change happens in waves. And in my experience, it's really true that the only constant for me has been change. So I've been with the organization for seven years. And in that seven year period, I've had six different bosses for a variety of different reasons. And I've had three different roles. Um, I was the North American compliance officer for three different entities initially. And then we sold part of the business to GE, and my role shifted into being the North American compliance officer for the transportation business. And then after a few months, I got promoted into the investigation, dedicated investigation function. So my my role has changed, my management has changed, and then after the sale to GE, I went from being one of the lesser experienced on the team in terms of global anti-corruption to one of the more experienced on the ENC team that was now newly formed uh, for the restructured entity. The rest of my colleagues, I said goodbye to all of them. They all went to GE with the sale. So now I had a new team, a new boss, a completely new organization. It was so much change to deal with all at once. And then we also shrunk from having 100,000 employees down to about 35,000. And my colleagues on the new ENC team had been with the company much longer than I had, but they were in different functions from all over the organization, project management, sourcing, internal audit, contract management. So the positive aspect of this was that they had a better understanding of the business in general. And that was so helpful. So we, we learned from each other and it created a great balance. I think it's really good too. I, when I've heard of companies also who will take people from different backgrounds to do rotations or other things, um, you know, a few months in compliance. And I do think that getting different backgrounds is so important, especially because the definition of ethics and compliance widens all the time. So... I, completely, I agree with you. I think it creates a much more balanced team 
um, and, and a stronger team because you can't be an expert in all functional topics. And you have those people that bring that subject matter expertise from other parts of the organization. It is so helpful. If there's nothing is, you know, there's nothing that helps more, I think, in the function than knowing the business. Um, as I'd started in my role, that's not so new, it really now, but just learning a whole new business and having people in the business throughout it, you know, explaining things and going through it has makes a tremendous amount of difference in being able to succeed and also to really understand what people are going through. And for you, you have that there and your headquarters is also in France. So with all your changes, you know, do you have challenges from being outside the main office and you know, how do you handle that? It's a great question. During my early tenure, when I was doing training and talking to employees, especially the professionals in the sales and business development areas, they did not have a good understanding of corruption issues or even why the U.S. Department of Justice had jurisdiction in our case. And there was this sense that the U.S. had overstepped its authority in prosecuting a French company and a a very strong prevailing opinion that the U.S. was imposing its own sort of moral structure on foreign entities. There was so much anger and misunderstanding in our workforce. So I had so many conversations trying to explain and give more context to how corruption impacts certain countries and also the fact that the U.S. was not the only um, country taking a stand to address these issues and way of doing business. And the fact that acquiring or continuing business through corrupt means is just not a sustainable or healthy approach for any organization. And for that... um uh, being a woman and an American woman was it a doubly a doubly you know significant challenge? Did you find the communication to be uh, different because of gender as much, or mostly just the American uh, the American being an American? It was definitely both. Early on, I had a great deal of conflict. The work environment was not easy, and I received pushback from employees who didn't want to change the way that they were doing things. And it was a very heavily male-based workforce. So I had conflict uh, frequently with men and there was stress at all levels of the organization. So personally for me, there was so much growth in terms of handling conflict calmly and learning to not let it get to me. I used to tell colleagues, sometimes in the heat of an argument, you don't have to agree with our policies and you don't have to agree with this way of doing business. At the end of the day, I'm trying to help you and the company stay out of trouble. But there was so much growth for me. I had to learn to really depersonalize things. And it was the most important lesson was that employees, management, they're not going to do things just because you tell them to. So I did a lot of explaining and I had to keep in mind that many people simply didn't understand the rules or the context of why we had an integrity program. Like so many companies at the time going through these regulatory enforcement actions, there was a certain way of doing business that had been going on for years and years. And I had to remember that organizational change is not easy. Yeah. And 
things things have been changing now, and I'm sure in retrospect, and even in the last few years, you know, in all with your different leaders, you have felt some support and seen the change in the landscape as well. Absolutely, and I think that's been one of the the best results. Even though I have um, managed so much change, but now nine years later. The landscape is so different. There are many countries that have implemented anti-corruption legislation. Things are changing in the world, and there is a much better understanding that bribery and corruption are wrong. I have been very fortunate in my time at Alstom that I've had an amazing level of support from my management. I was trusted to run the program in North America. I was given autonomy, and I was given plenty of resources to do what I needed to do, and I had the backing from my management if I needed it. So I'm, I feel so fortunate to have had this experience that enabled me to grow as a compliance leader. Yeah, and one last thing I just wanted to talk about quickly um, is that you know, as we've been talking for a little while about when you and I were gonna meet up for this, then you were at Converge, and I heard a lot of really good feedback about your session, about change and resilience, and our, our mutual friend, Matt Kelly of Radical Compliance had written a post about the session. And then I suddenly I realized, wait, this great session was also you, Barbara. You talked a lot about some of your tips for success. Um, and one that you talked about is both the importance of health and, resi- uh, excuse me, health and wellness and you know, being resilient through things. So I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about those two points. Absolutely. So the first one in terms of wellness, for compliance officers, you can talk to many who are working in this field and they will tell you that we have a very high level of stress in our work. And it's important that we take care of ourselves. And I've had to learn over this time with all of the travel and all the stress that it was very important for me to take care of myself, to make sure that I took some time off here and there, um, that I watched um, making sure I got enough sleep, and enough exercise. And essentially, my perspective became, if I don't take care of myself, I'm not going to be a very good employee, and I won't be able to serve my organization. And and having that perspective really helped me to make sure that I was focusing on my own wellness. That makes a lot of sense. I, I have that too now. I've, I realize that either my workout or something else, every so often I'm thinking, well, this, this might take me away from work or the urgency of what I need to get done. And then I think, wait, if I go and do this for an hour, I do a little bit of, of, of boxing on a bag, not real boxing. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm much you know healthier and happier from doing that, having my meal and you know clearing my head a bit and getting a decent night's sleep or reading a book than worrying the whole time. And then I think it's just marinate a little bit. Um, so I guess the last point for you is talking about, you know, when I say marinate, also you're dealing with change and you know, resilience. Um, you know, what would you say is your kind of one of your main lessons on that? Absolutely. When I was preparing my session for Converge, I had to do a lot of thinking about this. And I'm not sure I would describe myself as being resilient, but I, I have to say that I that I am, and, and looking back, I realized that I'm someone that always dreaded change. I didn't like change. I really wanted things to stay the same. And part of the reason for that is that we have these preconceived ideas about how things should be, and then we look at change as a negative thing. 
But with all the change I've experienced, there have been so many positives as well. In the last seven years, having had so many different bosses and three different roles, it's given me the ability to go with the flow and be excited about change and also let go of expectations for how things should be. Essentially, so much of what happens in our organizations is out of our control. So getting stressed or worrying about the direction of these things is pointless. Yeah, I agree. I, and the, the other thing that I think about a lot now is having been in organizations with a lot of change and constantly when change is constant, the next change is almost becomes less of a change as, okay, I've done something, I can handle it before, I can do it again. And I think for women, I think it's particularly you know, helpful at times to start thinking of it that way as opposed to it's all new. It's, it's a variation. Um, and I, yeah, and you have really been through it. And, you know, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today about that. Um, and I know that really appreciate it. So um, on behalf of Mary Shirley, Compliance Podcast Network, me, um, thank you so much for taking the time and, you know, for all the work that you've been doing for the compliance community. And I'm going to give another plug to our DC compliance community that you're a very active part. So thank you for all that. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks. So thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.